Welcome back to Cedarville Stories. Part two with Dr. Pam Johnson is about her role as a coach, the advancement of women's athletics, and the founding of the Cove Academic Enrichment Center. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. As promised, I have Dr. Pam Johnson back with me on Cedarville Stories because we ran out of time last time and Pam still has a lot more to share. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. So now last time we talked, we, t- we learned about your conversion story, which is fabulous. We learned about you and how you came to Cedarville. I want to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking about um, your role as a faculty member, as a coach. And then I want to dive into uh, to the Cove, which is an academic uh, resource center um, for our students that you started. So let's let's just start with um, you have a heart for teaching. I do. You, you, did, you didn't want to go into research. You wanted to be with students. You wanted to teach. What fascinates you about teaching students? I love to watch students have aha moments. I love to help students that are struggling with understanding something. I love to do the almost puzzle work that it takes to help figure out how do I explain it or what learning experiences do I guide that student through to get them to understand it. When I present it in a way that, of course, I think somebody's going to understand it. You do. I do. It makes all kinds of sense to me. right. But when you see those puzzled looks and it's like, what did she just say? Then it's like, okay, I've got to find another way. That excites me a great deal. And interestingly, Mark, that's actually why I enjoyed coaching women's tennis. Yeah. Initially, when I was hired, I coached the field hockey team. What I quickly learned was that I'm not a very effective team sports coach. Okay. I had never even heard of field hockey until I did my undergraduate work at UD. Right. And that was the very first skills class that I had as a physical education major at UD was field hockey. And I'd never seen it before. I grew up in Dayton, and the only hockey we had there was ice hockey. Okay. And so, okay, now we have the sticks. We're out on the grass. This is weird. Fortunately, I actually was pretty successful with it and um, as a player— but I never really studied the game or understood the game well. And as a coach, you really need to understand the game pretty well. Right. So, and I didn't really enjoy studying the game. I enjoyed studying the human body. I enjoyed studying other kinds of ideas, but not a game. Okay. So that was my limitation. So Mary Alice Jeremiah was coaching the tennis team. She didn't really enjoy that because she is – a a team sports coach and a half. He's amazing. And so we were talking, we shared an office. Uh, It was interesting because we didn't have a lot of offices because didn't have a lot of space back then. And so we were talking and and we were were both kind of commiserating about our coaching assignments. And we looked at each other. It's like, why don't we change? So we did. So she, the next year, coached the field hockey team and I coached the tennis team. You didn't have to go through the administration to get that change. You just did it yourself. Yeah, we just did it ourselves. You it guys, was it was just girl sports, Mark. So it didn't, you know, it was no big thing. You guys are pioneers. <laughs> no, it's a big deal. Yeah, and and it was it was fascinating. So the uh, fellow that was coaching the men's team was a guy called Murray Murdoch. I've heard of him. Yeah, well, he was actually the chair of the history and social science department, 
And it's like, well, that's weird. And some ways kind of an unlikely looking coach even. And But Marilyn said, he's okay, you know, and, but you do have to work with him because you have to share the courts and right. you have to work out practice times and things. Well, long story short, Murray was an incredible help because while I had kind of learned tennis a little bit, I didn't know the game of tennis either. Had you ever played tennis before? Not really very much. Now, I played a little bit because I had to teach it up at Ohio State when I was a teaching assistant for okay. those two years okay. and met up there a lady by the name of Dee Morris. I found out she was one of the few Christians up there. So we became friends, and she said, well, I'll teach you about tennis because I really enjoyed it. And she was quite a good tennis player. Mm. Um, have very great strokes and stuff. So she really helped me a great deal as I was trying to teach tennis. So then I got hooked and had started, I started playing in, in uh, park tournaments and different things around. I mean, I really was hooked. So um, I had started playing, but I still didn't know very much and knew more singles than I did doubles. And so Murray was very gracious, very kind, very helpful. Um, all through my coaching career and, and was very gracious with sharing the courts and scheduling the courts and things like that. So that was a great help to me. He was 10 times the coach I was and has 10 times the record I have. But we both had the same reason that we loved it. And it, the love was working with the students. And I said to the, the, my players every year, my goal for you is that by the end of this year, you will be better in some of the areas in tennis than you are now. And that we will use this as the platform that it is. Mm -hmm. I said, there's nothing beneficial about this other than being a game that you get some good exercise unless you use it as the tool that it can be. And it's a magnificent tool because you've got all kinds of little life lessons available in it. And so you can use it as a great platform. Following that model takes the pressure off the students to feel like they have to to win. I mean, winning's important. I, I mean, why else compete if you're going to not play for winning? But the platform, the, the life lessons, it is. is where the value comes. Definitely. And I, I said, every player in the world can find somebody better than them. Even the, those that are at the top can be beaten. Correct. So it doesn't matter who you are or what level you're playing on. That's a, one of the great things about tennis. It can be played and enjoyed at so many levels and it can be lifelong. Mm -hmm. My husband Cliff played it till he died, literally. Right. And he and lived till what? 93, 93. So it's, it's a great game. It's a good testing game for yourself and for your own. I, I learned actually in tennis that I have a little bit of an anger issue. Mm -hmm. I can. And then, so I started analyzing that, trying to figure that out for myself. And then I realized I'm going to, have players with the same situation. And this is going to be a great opportunity to help them with it. But my goal, because of my experience in athletics and the way that God used that to bring me in touch with Cedarville College students that ultimately brought me to him, I said, there's other Pam deals out there. Yeah, You kids need to be ready. You need to have the conversations. If Judy Stamatis hadn't come to my Holiday Inn room that night, I don't know if I'd have ever had the courage to go seek them out. Yeah. And so I said, be available, reach out to kids. Who knows what God's going to do? With How them. did you make tennis the platform? How did you guide the students to really use it as a platform? 
we would talk about how you have conversations. We prepared every year, we prepared our own little track that the students were to share with okay. their opponent, however they wanted to do it, before their match, after their match. You realize how hard it is to talk graciously to somebody after you they've just beaten you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's humbling. It's, it's very humbling. And especially if in that moment you didn't have your your focus right or your priorities right with that. Mm-hmm. The beauty of athletics is you honor your opponent by bringing your best game to them. And your desire is that they honor you the same way right. by bringing their best game to you. And let's see how it comes out. Right. That's athletics. Yeah. That's true competition. I'm afraid we're, that true competition is lost in today's society. It's it's a lot harder to find. I think there's still some great coaches out there that are doing a magnificent job. Right. I think our coaches are are working hard to counter the culture. Right. I agree. And so that's the real challenge in athletics today. In a way, I coached in a slightly different day. We didn't have the pressures. I was all part of NAIA. I never was part of NCAA. There wasn't big money in women's athletics right. when I was involved in coaching. Right. There is today. It's part of why I officiated for years. I officiated volleyball and, and basketball. I officiated out at UCLA and basketball. Did some national tournaments and things. But part of why I got out of it was because I realized it was just a little hobby for me. And for these other people, it was their livelihood, and it was becoming big money. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to hear your response to the, the thought. You are a member of the NEI Hall of Fame, yes. the NCCAA Hall of Fame, and the Cedarville University Hall of Fame. Now, from a person who, whose coaching philosophy is probably more as much on ministry as in winning, what does being in these halls of fame mean to you? It, they're kind honors of God's graciousness in my life. Mark, I wouldn't be anywhere in college if Mark if if God hadn't arranged all the details to get me even to get a college degree. I understand that. That is so clear for me. And so he opened up all these other opportunities. And when you get honored for the things he's done for you, it's like, it's kind that people have done that. And it's, I I appreciate it. There's probably people out there that deserve it more than I do. Yeah. But it's, it's, for me, it's just a, a testimony of God's grace and faithfulness in my life. It's, it's very kind. I mean, the, what's interesting is a lot of what I did in, in all the athletic organizations was administrative. Mm-hmm. I ran tournaments. I ran the NAI National Tournament. And again, that was something Murray helped me get involved with. And he did the same thing. He did the same thing. He gave me the idea to get the women's scholarship, scholar-athlete thing started for women for the women in NAI because they hadn't been doing it for the women. They'd been doing it for the men. Okay, let's fix that. Yes. So helped get that fixed. And so that's really what ended up being honored. Actually, I was not that great an athlete. I didn't have that many opportunities to be involved in athletics. But it was for the service, really. Yeah. And it was a part of giving back. Now, hearing um, in an earlier podcast with with Murray Murdoch and the one we had with you before this one, it's really warms my heart to know that the tennis complex at Cedarville University is na- named the Pamela Deal Johnson slash J. Murray Murdoch Tennis Complex. And that you're first. 
Yeah, I'm first because alphabetically it worked out that way, and I'm grateful. <laughs> but I also give him a hard time. He coached 29 years, and I coached 30. How many so wins does he have? Gazillions okay. more. Okay. I'm just saying, He, I said he was he was 10 t- times the coach I had ever could hope to be. Um, he also played ridiculous number of matches in a season, and I, uh, I didn't. But but again, that's another the, the naming of the complex for you and for Murray is another kind gesture that reflects the graciousness of the Lord. Absolutely, so that's, absolutely that's cool. Let's transition. You know, you mentioned uh, the puzzle piece that you do with coaching and teaching. I, I have to believe that also comes into the play with you starting the Cove. Now, for for our listeners who may not know what the Cove is today, briefly share what it is. And then why was it important for this to start when you decided it was time to start it? Dwayne Wood actually was the um, vice president for academics that helped get it, give me the opportunity to get it started. We were having students, more and more students that were coming that were kind of struggling, weren't being successful. And we were doing this and that and the other, but no organized effort to try to support them because we assumed that if we accepted them, they could do it, and they just needed to buckle down and do it. Then we were starting to get more and more pressure from students with disabilities. Okay. Um, prior to this, uh, when, we st- when we started the Cove, the private colleges weren't really required to provide anything directly for students with disabilities. So we didn't. But then Dr. Wood said, I think we need to to work on this area. And so in a conversation one day, he said to me, you teach our adapted physical education course, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, that then, would you be interested in starting our program for students with disabilities and and trying to figure out what we need to do and, and help us um, serve those students better. I said, well, if you think that qualifies me, I will certainly give it a try. Mm. And so that's sort of how the formal part of the Cove started in an attempt to meet the needs of our students with disabilities. We had student government was doing some tutoring. And so I worked with the, the student in the Student Government Association who was doing that. And I said, let's see if we can't put our efforts together, what you're trying to do through student government and what Dr. Wood now wants me to try to do with students with disabilities as well as students who are struggling. That was kind of the initial ideas anyway behind the Cove. There was no place to have it though. Mm. So we literally, we we joked about that we had a virtual, um, we (laughs) called it an academic enrichment center is what we called it. Okay. We had a virtual academic enrichment center my office was in the athletic center, and the part-time secretary that I was able to use for this was also out there. So it was kind of pseudo-housed in the athletic center mm-hmm. until the discussion started about the Bible building. Okay. And so those discussions were very interesting about could we include some kind of a place for the academic enrichment center right. so that we could really— make this be real and not just virtual. It was in, it was out. It was in, it was out. It was very nervous all through the planning process. But by God's grace, it ultimately was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to hire Kim Algram. Does a fabulous and job. And she was 
probably one of my best ever hires here at Cedarville University. And I told her when I, when we hired her, I said, Kim, you, you're this beautiful, stealth director of the Cove because she's a counselor in the background. Okay. So she's a professional counselor. But I said, you will do more counseling as director of the Cove than you would in the counseling center because you're going to talk to people who wouldn't go to the counseling center. Right. And it has worked out that way. She is amazing. And um, we've been blessed to be able to hire some incredible staff to support the efforts. Right. And it has grown beautifully, way beyond anything I could ever have imagined out of our virtual start. A virtual start to a great program. So how how old is the Cove? However old the the BTS, BTS is, really, is that's when we finally had a place. Like I said, we were running for probably three or four years virtually out of the athletic center and trying to arrange for specialized testing, trying to help students with disabilities and, and meet their needs. What a, what a great resource for the students who could use that because it's rigorous oh. academically to go here. And so something Absolutely. like this is very, very valuable. Well, interestingly, Mark, we serve as many students that are working hard to get their A's as we do sure. students who are working hard to be able to stay in school. You have served faithfully at Cedarville University. From your perspective, what is your greatest accomplishment? Well, I think my greatest, and I don't even know how to, how to establish an accomplishment. I think my greatest joy okay. is the joy I have of solving problems that a student has had uh, kind of a bad experience that we then can figure out a good way to fix that. and systemically make the changes to have that not likely to be able to happen again. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the great joys and blessings that I have in my position now and in, in the things I get to do where I pull everything I've done over the last 40 plus years together mm -hmm. and can use all of those to come into um, helping that solution happen. Probably one of my greatest pleasures I got to do was there was a young man who had never finished his degree, and it was it was almost a technicality. Um, it it came to light. I started researching it, worked through it, and we were able to get him his degree finished. And I took it out to his place of employment and delivered it there to him, mm. so his colleagues could celebrate with him. That was one of my most exciting accomplishments, if you yeah. want to call it that. Yeah. So your accomplishments in your mind, the most value is because it impacts somebody else. It, Absolutely. It, it changes a direction or it enhances or strengthens somebody else. Absolutely. That's cool. Similar question. What is your greatest memory or most memorable event from your time at Cedarville University? And there's many. There are. I I have to come back to the fact that the Lord ended up deciding to bring Cliff Johnson and I together. And the the beautiful little journey that was and the incredible blessing of uh, learning about being an effective administrator. Cliff and I were very different. He's a, a, an extrovert's extrovert. Okay. I am by nature an introvert that plays the extrovert role. Um, every president we've had is similar to that. They are by nature introverts. 
who have to play extrovert roles. Right. Cliff was a consummate extrovert. And as I watched him and, and lived with him, I, I got to learn a little bit more about how valuable it is to be more extrovert-ish. And so have challenged myself to try to do that a little bit better. But the, just the blessing of, of uh, being able to <laughs> have a romance with him mm-hmm. and then be married to him for almost 25 years. Pam, thanks for, again, for sharing your story, being vulnerable, being transparent. Um, it's been a delight to be, be with you today, and I wish you the very best. Thanks for serving Cedarville University for 40 years or so, and more importantly, thank you for being faithful to the call that uh, God has placed on your heart, and uh, I only wish the best for you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been, again, a blessing and a privilege. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.